Hello and welcome to the Skytime podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that aims to share information and experiences within the Sky community during the COVID-19 crisis. As we edge closer to a potential opening up of the tourism and hospitality sectors on the 15th of July, businesses across the island are working hard on plans, procedures and protocols to keep visitors, staff and residents safe. Coming up, COVID-19 is posing the greatest challenge to Dunvegan Castle and Gardens in its 800-year history. We hear plans for reopening not just the castle, but the Glen Brittle campsite. Staying with camping, and we hear the latest news for reopening Camping Sky in Broadford, and what steps are being taken to keep staff and visitors safe. And with reduced capacity on campsites, and community concerns about informal camping, we speak to the owner of Highland Campervans about the advice they are giving to people hiring motorhomes. My first guest is Hugh McLeod of Dunvegan Castle and Gardens. In normal years, the castle attracts 180,000 visitors a year and the estate contributes £900,000 a year to the local economy. But as we all know, this is not a normal year. Hugh, welcome to the Skytime podcast. Thanks, Simon. Nice to be here. Now, I was reading a quote from you from back in March. You said the crisis would push the estate closer to the brink than at any time in its 800-year history. Three months on, is, is that still the case? Uh, well, without a doubt, the past three months have been incredibly challenging uh, on so many levels, and, and that's not just for us, it's for everyone. The kind of sudden onset of the coronavirus is, you know, and it's enforced enclosures. was like trying to apply the brakes to an oil tanker in a force five gale. But we transitioned to a state of, like, quasi-hibernation, I've called it, and you know, kept on a skeleton team of around six uh, staff during the lockdown, and we followed everyone else. And I've been kind of largely manning the estate office alone for the duration of the lockdown. And we also had to cancel the maintenance works projects. Uh, we slashed operating costs wherever possible, uh, because things don't stop just because of a crisis like this, especially costs. And uh, you know, we had to turn back the 30-strong seasonal staff that we'd recruited for this, what would have been a, hopefully a wonderful season, but that didn't turn out to be the case, except for two of those 30 who were marooned with us, uh, French and Australian girls, who've been marooned here and have been kindly volunteering since March. Now, some people might think an, an estate has vast reserves that they can call on during tough times, but you invest heavily in, in your operation through the winter, don't you? Yeah, we always reinvest the seasonal fruits of our labours back into the... Uh, into the estate and we've been doing so ever since I, I took over. I mean, the you know, I think it's important to clarify that the estate is basically a small, medium-sized business with loads of historic buildings to maintain in Sky's unforgiving climate, a relatively small dedicated team and a legacy debt, which has basically uh, been taken on by trying to make the impossible possible over the last 11 years. So. Wealthy, we are not, even though it might appear that way on the uh, on the outside. But the thing I, I would say is that you know when I took over back in I think two thousand and eight, I was faced with you know decades of chronic underinvestment, and it was like trying to fight raging bushfires on all sides. And in order to kind of restore Dunvegan to the five star attraction it is today, with all the recent awards that we've managed to get under our belt. 
that's cost four million of capital expenditure and repairs, you know, over that time. And, uh, you know, those costs were part funded by the estate. We took on debts. I mortgaged uh, my London flat in order to, you know, pay for the majority of those roof works. And, uh, you know, keep, and also not just the maintenance of heritage buildings, which are very, it's very expensive, but it's also every, every, every other aspect of, of what we do, the cafe, the camp, right? the car park, the holiday cottages. I mean, it is, you know, there's a numerous amount of things that we need to keep to a high standard, which our visitors come to expect. So the problem's not going to be just this year. The impact of COVID-19 and 2020 will impact on you for several years to come. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a short-term public health crisis with long-term economic consequences, and that is stating the obvious. And uh, I do think that for every week of lockdown, I was saying that to Ian Blackford back in March. I'm not an economist, but I think that it will take around one year to recover for every week of lockdown to um, previous 2019 levels. And, you know, if you think about it, Sky in the last few years has gone stratospheric, as we all know, created some high-class problems for infrastructure, public toilets and everything else. But, you know, around 500,000 people uh, in the last two years, more or less, were visiting Sky itself, a hugely popular island, very beautiful, and a brand, a world, world-renowned brand, as we know. And this year, what is that number going to be? I mean, it's anyone's guess. You know, I don't know. Is it going to be 30,000? Will it be 60,000? And what will it be next year? That is impossible to forecast. From an economic point of view, do you believe that we've been in lockdown too long? I think the, uh, you know, both the Scottish government and the UK governments have had to walk a tightrope balancing you know, the needs of this public health emergency and the economy and it was essential to get the pandemic down to manageable levels and protect the NHS and everyone who was most at risk of contracting the virus. But, you know, that has come at a huge cost. And that cost is yet to filter through the real economy. And, and part of the reason for that is kind of an- anaesthetics like uh, the furlough scheme, which has been unprecedented, um, as we all know, and also, uh, you know, the recent $100 billion that the Bank of England has pumped into the UK economy. I mean... The reality of you know what's happened is not yet sunk in, I think, and uh, the effects are going to start to unfortunately manifest in November as the furlough unwinds and the other support measures from the government unwind. In terms of of the impact for Dunvegan, obviously we have got a projected loss of 94% of our income this year, and the only uh, emergency government funding we qualified for was the um, Pivotal Enterprise Resilience Fund. And we did receive a grant offer from HIE, but that only amounted to 7% of our projected trading loss this year alone, and a crushingly disappointing decision to have uh, been given. We appealed it without success, so unfortunately that does mean uh, I have no other choice but to start a painful restructuring process that's going to involve making a lot of my fantastic team redundant. As we move towards the provisional opening date of the 15th of July, what are your plans, first of all, for the castle? Uh, the lockdown was relatively straightforward, but reopening is going to be far more treacherous and, and you know, difficult. And this is the period when you know, business failures will probably accelerate. Uh, my, my feeling is that confidence you know, is the oxygen of the economy, and that's going to be in short supply for some time to come. And I, I think that any business who is banking on a B-shaped recovery alongside an immediate bounce back from staycationers might be surprised because I, I think demand is likely to remain subdued for some time. 
And the thing is, obviously, for us, we are a high volume visitor attraction, and we need, under normal trading conditions, and previous years, we've, we our break even number of visitors per day is six hundred. Anything less than that, it's not worth us almost turning on the lights. Um, and that's the the thing that many people don't understand about businesses of scale, like uh, Bombay Castle Family Estate. That's what we need. And so, obviously, it's vital that we we want to avoid operating at a loss. And you know that's something that we have have been doing in the shoulder months of April and October. We we usually make a loss on those uh, on those shoulder months, even in the last three or four years. And uh, that's obviously another reason why we haven't been able to extend our season. So the plan really is um, you know to try to digest all the guidance, get our protocols in place to the best of our ability wherever practicable. And, and to err on the side of caution with a more modest, phased uh, reopening of a very much scaled back operation. So the only things that we will open this year are the self-catering holiday cottages on the 15th of July. That's the current plan. The castle gardens only, not the castle, until uh, there is further clarification on social distancing, which makes that impossible for us or just not worthwhile in terms of the costs involved. So castle gardens only from the 1st of uh, August, uh, maybe the gift shop in the car park, and that would probably be it. So we want to test the demand before bringing more parts of the estate back online. And this, you know, if we do that, uh, that will give us the best possible chance to emerge on the other side of this crisis, maybe badly bruised, but hopefully still intact. There's a predicted boom for the camping sector. You run Glim Brittle Campsite. What plans do you have for that? The plans at the moment, because obviously it's a fast-moving situation and you know the messaging has gone from stay at home to please come and, and visit. Let's get the economy open, and that's absolutely right. We're only going to open to camper vans and RVs at this point because we simply won't have the resources or the staff to open the cooling coffee cafe uh, so and the, and the toilet block and the shower block, at this point, we are thinking it might remain closed. So the campsite is still actually not, we're not 100% sure we're going to be able to uh, reopen it. But if we do, it will probably be on the 1st of August, but that's still subject to getting a lot of ducks in a row. Uh, the other thing, of course, is something we all need, public loos. That's something that is going to be a problem in the Highlands, with a lot of them not being open. I've heard that the National Trust for Scotland isn't opening some of its uh, loos on site, which is going to lead to all kinds of obvious problems. And, you know, for us currently, we need to be able to find people who are willing to clean in this uh, public health emergency, which which obviously is an increased risk. And, uh, you know, that's always been a challenge in this part of the world. And, uh, you know, if you don't find people who are willing to do that, then we might not even be able to open the castle gardens. Going back to the campsite, will you be insisting on pre-booking? It's something that Sky Connect has been pushing hard, that we don't want people just rocking up in the anticipation that they'll find somewhere to pitch. Yeah, I mean, unlike uh, the rest of the the castle and gardens normally where we have electronic e-tickets that people can can purchase online so we can stagger those and and do timed entries and and limit the numbers, etc., we don't, we've always operated on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, the thing is that the campsite is operated by seasonal staff, who are obviously not on site. Uh, normally, it has six people. We're only going to be able to afford two staff uh, max this year, maybe three on a rotor. So, you know, we won't be able to afford to start taking bookings, but that is the plan. You know, it would be 
advanced bookings for RVs and campervans only, but we would only open that phone line about a week before we opened, if we do on the 1st of August. And we're probably not going to be able to open the uh, the cafe with a small, tiny team. Um, it's a, a huge amount of work at the best of times. Cooling coffees, uh, it's a wonderful, a very successful cafe at the campsite, but I do think it will be very difficult to um, to you know be able to um, meet all of the stringent hygiene measures with the limited resources and staff that we have on site, this- if we do at all. A degree of community concern out there of over the resumption of tourism. What would be your message to the community about how you as a tourism provider are preparing to operate in a safe manner? It's not for me to give anyone a message, but um, the fact is that Sky is largely dependent on tourism. That is the lifeblood of the island's economy. And, uh, you know, this season, and the pandemic and the closures and the lockdown has been... Um, catastrophic for, for many businesses all shapes and sizes uh, Sky especially obviously those in the hospitality tourism sectors and uh, I think a lot of people understand um, that you know the population of Sky swells to 500,000 in you know, has done in recent years with visitors and the local population is 10,000 and if we only had 10,000 people on this island we wouldn't have all of the services and the amazing restaurants and possibly even juice and other suppliers and supply chains on the island to the level and extent that we do uh, we certainly wouldn't have that with just ten thousand people so you know the whole island absolutely relies on tourism economy i think we have to balance public health which is important and, and making sure people stay safe but people i think we're having to move towards those that feel at risk will have to self-isolate and, and uh, those that wish to, to go out to, to come here to visit or everything else, they, they have to be responsible um, to socially distant, keep them uh, social distance, um, to do all of the you know, mitigation measures that are, everyone already knows now, washing hands regularly, etc. And common sense, I think, is the, the only way forward because, as I've heard from some you know, government ministers, creating a uh, guidelines, divine guidance that reduces the risk in every possible scenario is impossible to do. And in the end, people have to take responsibility for themselves, their actions, and for those around them. And uh, I think, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, when visitors come here, they'll be very aware of that, and, uh, and that they will do that. So it has to be a balance between visitors coming and the local population welcoming them, but, but at a safe distance. I think the the, the the new trademark will be a you know a warm Highland welcome at a safe distance. Hugh McLeod, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Sam. As our communities and businesses begin to recover, we have the opportunity to work together to solve challenges and overcome barriers. Sky Connect is here to support and unite businesses that rely on tourism in Sky. Join now and help us build a strong, sustainable tourism industry. Sticking with the camping theme, my next guest is Becky Milne, the manager of Camping Sky in Broadford. Welcome to the Skytime podcast, Becky. Thank you very much, Simon. It's great to be here. Now, Camping Sky is, is relatively new. How many pitches do you have? We have 24 vehicle pitches, 
five standing vehicle pitches and then approximately the same again in tent pitches on grass terraces. And what have you been doing during lockdown to prepare the site for a hopeful reopening at some point? Yeah, actually, I can't claim any responsibility for doing anything much during lockdown because myself and the other permanent warden, we've been furloughed for the period um, just as a way of maintaining the business financially. However, we have a wonderful volunteer team through the Broadford and Straff Community Company, which is, of course, our parent company. And we also have one part-time warden who's local to Broadford. And so between them, they've done a power of work on the site. So it's it's looking wonderful at the moment. The grass is looking great. Of course, it's not had the burden of bearing tents over the season. And they've done a great job on just keeping the landscape ticking over So and maintaining the facilities. So in terms of reopening, we're actually sitting there. We're ready to go. Everything is looking great. How much of a worry has it been for such a, a new business missing out on so much of the season? Yeah, it's a huge worry and it's a multifaceted worry for us as well. As you know, we're a community-owned company and the one of the main purposes in setting up the site, in addition to providing a much-needed facility for visitors to Sky, is of course to provide uh, financial support to the charity that's behind it. So not only has the charity itself not been able to do any fundraising through the lockdown period, which it normally would, it'd be doing events and what have you to bring in some income uh, we haven't been generating any income and as you say as a new business and a very small business the reserves are also very small so yeah the furlough scheme has been of a huge help that's meant that we can be put onto that and the site's been mothballed and as I say it's been really well looked after by the team in the background um, having that team of volunteers behind us has been an absolute godsend as well they've been great in keeping an eye on everything and making sure the place is safe secure and well looked after but yeah it's a huge dent in the season so now that the government have given a, a cautious green light to start reopening will you be opening as soon as you possibly can we are aiming to get open as soon as feasibly possible yes and um, we are not going to throw the gates open and go for it full steam ahead in the first instance. For lots of reasons, the directors feel that a more cautious approach is the right one to take at this time. So we'll be doing a phased reopening, a gradual reopening. To begin with, we'll have a reduced number of pitches available and those pitches will only be for units with their own onboard facilities. So and we'll, we'll still be just at the beginning of phase three of where we start looking at the tourism industry starts looking at reopening. Um, so we feel that for us, that's too early a stage to be looking at opening communal facilities, toilets, shower blocks, that kind of thing. So we're going to do, as I say, a phased reopening just to give the team a chance to really get on top of the COVID regulations, make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to look after our visitors, to look after ourselves, but also to look after the community. Because I think going from zero to full speed ahead is maybe not going to be the best thing for the community, looking at, again, that wider viewpoint of keeping everybody safe in the COVID sense. So when will the first visitors be allowed in and will they have had to book in advance? We're going to publish the exact dates in a few days' time once we've had a chance to catch up with the folk on our mailing list, um, who of course have first priority on these pitches, having been in touch with us. We will be asking people to book in advance for several reasons. The pitches will be really, really limited, so it's in their own interest to make sure that they get their pitch booked. 
Um, from us as a staffing team new to dealing with the COVID situation, we need to know in advance how many vans we're going to have on site, how many people we're going to be looking after, and so that we can put the cleaning procedures in place for those. And the other thing is, of course, we now need to make sure that we've got adequate contact information for each and every one of our visitors so that if anything does go wrong, I mean, we all hope it won't, of course, but if somebody falls ill while they're on site, we've got the information we need for the NHS track and trace team to come in and take over. Now, you mentioned that uh, washrooms won't be opened, but what about the servicing facilities for camper vans, the emptying of uh, water tanks, etc.? Will they be able to do that on site? Yeah, of course, that's a really important one, isn't it? So to explain at the moment, our toilet, chemical toilet disposal point, the servicing facility to dispose of their toilet waste is actually in a room, as it were, it's behind a closed door. So we're going to modify that slightly so that there's a better airflow in that to make that a safer place for people to be coming in and out of. And again, there'll be additional cleaning required just to keep that really, really clean, really, really safe for people to use. But the short answer is yes, absolutely. And we're hoping that subject to demand we'll be able to keep those available for visiting vans that aren't staying with us as well because again that's always been a really important part of what the service that we've provided is for folk that are coming onto the island they're maybe not wanting to stay on a site for every night of their stay but they still need somewhere to dispose of their waste safely without damaging the environment that they're coming to visit. We've always asked people to get in touch with us prior to using this drive-in service And we would continue to say that this year, please, please phone ahead, book a time to come and use it. Because as I say, the cleaning burden is going to be a lot greater this year. We're going to be doing our best to look after people really, really well. So it's best for us if you can get in touch, book a time, come on site, get your van service looked after that way. I see that Sky Connect are encouraging camper vans to stay on sites wherever possible when visiting the island. And I think that would be great if we could get everybody doing that. But I would imagine that a lot of the sites will be doing a similar approach to us. They'll be taking a fairly cautious approach to opening and there will be a limited number of sites. So I think from a pragmatic point of view, we probably have to accept that there will be some people in vans wanting to stay off site. Maybe not every night of their stay on Sky, but certainly for part of it. So, So yes, we will be providing that service for people who want to do that. How important is it that other businesses open at the same time as you, i.e. the cafes, restaurants, bars, so that people who are coming here have actually got something to do? Yeah. Um, Well, in terms of a general opening of the tourism industry, I mean, it makes logical sense to have a time frame for opening that allows other businesses to open around the accommodation providers, as you say, because the accommodation providers can't provide everything that people need on their stay here. I personally think each and every business on Sky has to make its own decisions. I know there are some people that are wanting to wait till much later in the year for their own personal reasons. And I think that that has to be the case that people are not put under pressure to open um, just because others are doing it. I think and I hope that the visitors coming to see us this year in the Highlands will be aware that this is an extraordinary situation they're not visiting us in a normal time and services and say visitor attractions, restaurants, etc., might not be running in the way that they would normally expect. And I, I would sincerely hope that people will come with a patient attitude towards that because presumably wherever they've come from, the situation will be the same there in the UK. 
Some businesses will be throwing open the doors and welcoming people with open arms. Other businesses will be taking a much more cautious approach. And I think that's absolutely fine. Every, everyone has to be allowed to do this in the, the way that they feel is the best way to do it. There's obviously a fair degree of concern within the community. How important is it for you as a business to take the community with you and keep them informed about what you are doing? Yeah, that's really important. I think it's very important for any business. It's super important for us because, as I say, our umbrella organisation is that Broadford and Strath community company, that charity that's set up by and for the local community. So it's one of the reasons that it's important to us as a campsite team that we have the full backing of the directors in whatever way we decide to go forward because that board of directors of the community company, they represent the views of the community. And so if there was anything that we were planning to do that they said, no, we're not happy with that, that's going too fast, too much, too soon, we wouldn't do it, absolutely. I can totally understand the concerns of the community. You know, I share some of them myself. It's, it feels like a huge step from where we are now to suddenly having all that extra, the extra vehicles on the road, the extra people in the place, you know, there's all those practical questions. How is the co-op going to cope? At the moment, we have to queue just to go and do our own groceries. What's going to happen? So there's an awful, it's a big, big step into the unknown at the moment. And of course, COVID is still out there. It hasn't gone away. So yeah, we do absolutely, we share and we understand those concerns, which is one of the primary reasons behind doing a more, much more gradual reopening. Um, and as I say, we can only we can only hope that the that any visitors that do come up to us this year will be understanding the situation that we find ourselves all this year. Becky Milne of Camping Sky, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. My final guest is Catherine Bunn of Highland Campervans. The company sells, services and hires campervans, motorhomes and caravans. Catherine is also instrumental in Camper, the industry body that's done a lot of work on responsible campervanning. Catherine, welcome to Skytime. Hello, Simon. Firstly, how tough a year has this been for your business? Well, it started off quite well <laughs> and then uh, we hit March and it went a little bit off kilter. So it's been very difficult. I think every business in tourism, every business across the whole of the UK has, has experienced difficulties and challenges. But the good thing is that we had some plans, some contingency plans in place. So we were able to carry on keep the business over during the last few months. But obviously now it's really, it, we're pleased that the lockdown is lifting, ready for the season to hopefully salvage the year. So on the flip side, are you now anticipating a real boom in business post-lockdown as people look to camper vanning as a, as a way of holidaying and keeping social distancing? Well, there's, a, there's been a general trend over the last few years anyway with, a, with a, an increasing popularity in, in motorhomes and camper vans because they are acknowledged to be you know, an ideal way to travel around, self-sufficient, flexibility, and a lot of people could use them as a second vehicle for work trips and everything else. But there's always been a, an increasing number of people um, turning to the industry. Um, and I think, yes, there probably, certainly, there will be an increase of the number of people looking at campervans and motorhomes. And there is now certainly coming through is finance options to help younger family members kind of get onto the ladder. It's, it's traditionally motorhomes, very much often, there, there is still, I think, about 81% of motorhome owners are over the age of 55. So there is definitely a demographic trend, but certainly um, some Swift and some of the other large UK manufacturers have seen more uh, younger family members, 40 and below, looking at how they can actually get onto the ladder to start owning a motorhome. How are you setting up the higher side of your business in preparation for opening up? 
There is probably going to be some more technology involved in terms of the handovers will be done with digital videos that are pre-recorded. But even there for us, we would still have a member of staff around and encourage the people watching the video, the customers to actually pause the video and then have a go themselves with a member of staff standing outside. So you've not got same people, two people in a confined space. So there's some good things that come out of, of the COVID situation, to be honest, in terms of helping streamline some of these services and, and, and helping the business just really revisit everything we do and the customer journey and making sure it's as, it's as possible for, for people to get on the holidays, but as detailed as possible to make sure they understand and can properly use the vehicles when they're away. Have these new protocols added to your costs and therefore the costs of customers hiring vehicles? I think like many businesses, the costs that we incur for, we've had to invest in new technology, new um, iPads and things that customers will be using for the handovers. But as a business, we've made that decision to absorb the cost within the business. Um, we don't want to put the cost onto customers. Everything in the world is going up as it is. And all you cause then is if you just add to the inflation problems. So we are as much as possible keeping everything absorbed. Certainly for the rest of the season, customers who've rebooked and who've very, we've had amazing customer support in that of all the customers who've had to change their dates and have had it booked, pretty much everybody has rescheduled and stuck with us either for later this year or they just rebooked for next year. But where we have done that is we haven't put the price on them and we have said they, they, will, they will be honoured with the 2020 prices um, as a, an acknowledgement and thank you for, for sticking with us. Campervans don't have the best of reputations in the community on Sky due to some instances of antisocial behaviour in previous years. What have you and the umbrella body Camper been doing to educate owners and hirers? So Camper was formed, Camper stands for the Campervan and Motorhome Professional Association, uh, Camper for short, and it aims to promote best practice amongst the motorhome community, uh, particularly focusing on the hire fleet, making sure that anybody who's hiring out a motorhome has standards that they adhere to, make sure they give thorough, comprehensive handovers, and they brief customers on driving etiquette, where they can empty waste, and the key things there. However, we do acknowledge that it's not just rental fleets that are out and, and causing potential issues in communities. There is a, a huge amount of private ownership. There's 225,000 motorhomes in use across the UK. So yes, they can travel down to Cornwall and London, but an awful lot at some point in their lifetime are probably going to head north. With that is we've tried to really focus on three key areas on the on the camper website, which is the, the safe driving and the etiquette, motorhome etiquette, the waste disposal and the informal camping. There's been a call on the island to limit the size of camper vans that come to Sky due to the problems on the narrow roads, issues with parking, etc. Is that something that's practical, feasible, something that you would be prepared to consider? I don't think necessarily... Re- banning or preventing motorhomes above a certain size to go to the islands and even some of the the west coast roads on the mainland are just as difficult a lot of people who own some of the larger vehicles they'll be based further down in england they are effectively mobile homes mobile flats on wheels and some of them for personal ownership they will go across to europe and spend months at a time touring around europe so it's unusual for them to come back and then suddenly have to just sell that unit to get something smaller just for a one trip to come up to the island I think we, we do acknowledge that. So as a, as a local specialist hire fleet operator in Inverness, uh, we specialise in, we have six-metre panel vans. That's our size. We feel they're very good and adapt to the narrow island roads, an ideal size. But some of the larger units that come across, I think there are things that communities can do to try and help encourage those units to perhaps park and stay on the campsites and offer more services. So, for instance, 
on the Isle of Skye, there are a huge number of tourism operators who offer day trips out, and they've got people carriers, and they can do flight tours and hires. You know, we have to think is well, is there anything that they could do to advertise on the campsites to say, well, actually, we will come and pick you at the campsite, so you can leave your unit like a caravan on the campsite, and instead you want to go to the ferry calls, you want to go to here. Well, let's arrange a private coach to go here. Let's arrange a private guide to take you across to here. And I think probably that's something that, as an industry, we would like to encourage our users to consider. And certainly in camper membership, we have said the Scottish hire companies, we will be encouraging our operators who have the larger vehicles to encourage renters to actually try and use and utilize local facilities and local services like that. It will help spread the wealth. And it also means that you won't have so many large units at tourist attractions. So is that something that a DMO like Sky Connect could be doing to integrate the tourism package, join things up so that camper van owners can leave their camper vans at the campsite and go off and enjoy experiences? Certainly. I think Sky Connect have been very proactive in trying to help manage the, you know, the increase in number of camper vans and motorhomes. And it's a great problem to have, really, is that lots of people want to come to visit you. That is, it's fantastic. However, you do need to make sure then that that's balanced with um, access off the road thing. So what we can certainly do is work with SkyConnect and work with the DMOs around Scotland to help encourage them to identify how the services could work. And certainly the link point, finding out from users and communities, most owners, what they would need in a service like that. Um, you need, need to make sure it's not just something that's offered from one side. It needs to be something that people will take on board. The motorhome hire side of it, people when they're on holiday, they want a stress-free holiday. They want to go and enjoy it. They want to see it. And a lot of the motorhomes that are traveling around, you know, people don't generally hire a motorhome year on year and year. We have the occasional going to different areas, but an awful lot will use a motorhome trip as, as, a, as, a, as a recce route. You know, they will come around and they will look around and they will see and they'll find places that they think, well, this is amazing. This is lovely, really hospitable, welcome, lovely people. We'll come back here and next time they come back, they'll come and look for a self-catering cottage. They'll come and look for a better breakfast accommodation and stay longer in one area. So I think motorhomes, especially the higher ones, need to be seen more as, as potential audience for, for the key self-catering units and things that, that we've got in abundance in the Highlands. One critical piece of advice that is being given out this year is the, the need for everybody to plan ahead, to book ahead, so that uh, people aren't rocking up in communities with, uh, with nowhere to, to stay. Is that something that you will be passing on to people hiring? I can assure you the message that asking people to plan ahead has already gone out, not just to the Scottish hire companies, but also to the English. They are members of English hire groups as well. That message has certainly been shared and they are telling everybody to try and get ahead. The slight problem that everybody in the industry has got is that the campsites, a lot of them aren't open yet or they're not taking bid booking. That causes a little bit of a problem. And we are also aware of there's quite a few campsites that for various reasons have chosen not to open for the remainder of the year. Um, I can understand that completely if if there's health restrictions that mean they're going to have potential um, risk factors there. But that is potentially going to cause a displacement issue. Um, and that's what we're working with Scottish Government on in alternative plans of where else could be accommodated, where else could we host these vehicles, so that they're not parked in front of people's houses. There is a huge problem at the moment in that there's a lot of misinformation online. When the original Scottish Outdoor Access Code, the details were published and the legislation was published, it was misunderstood and misinterpreted of how motorhomes applied within that legislation. And so even though sometimes higher operators tell their customers the, the rules and the guidance 
if international tourists have read it in their guidebooks and they have read it in their documentation or they have done a lot of research before they come across, if they have read that it's legal and they can do this and do that, then they think they have the right to do it. And so it, we've got a real battle on our hands, a real challenge, I should say, to try and actually re-educate everybody and clarify what is informal camping, what constitutes it, which really informal camping is about going off into the mountains and, and being ready away from any kind of residential settlement and being ready to go off to do routes early in the morning or late at night. So what sort of alternative parking up areas are you thinking about? There are lots of places that potentially could be suitable for pit stop. Um, there's a lot of people probably have heard of the air situation, you know, the airs and that operate in Europe, where generally it's just for one night or two nights that people are allowed to pass through. So if most vehicles we encourage them, most motorhomes we encourage them to be self-contained. So they must have, to be a self-contained unit, you must have a toilet facility on board. You must have fresh water facility on board and you must have a, a, an opportunity for catching wastewater. So literally you will arrive somewhere and when you drive off the next day, the only thing that's left behind is four tire marks, if anything, on the ground. So there are lots of sites like Forestry Commission sites, Highland Council car parks, potentially. There's lots of even pubs, industrial units. There's lots of places where you could have airs or, or just overnight informal sites that people could park on overnight and then be off again early the next morning. So you're not, again, you're not blocking council facilities during the, for daytime users, but at night when the car parks are empty, why not allow people to stay overnight, have a meal in the local pub, and then they move on again in the morning and they carry on with their route. We have recognised, it is widely recognised that there are not enough one-star sites within the Scottish network. As, as nice as it is to offer customers five-star solutions where they've got swimming pools on sites or sites with electric hookups and this and barbecues and everything else, there's an awful lot of people who actually don't desire that kind of site facility. They literally just want somewhere to park up, enjoy a nice view potentially, or even in a forestry view where they can see the squirrels, just park up and then drive on again in the morning. And it's widely acknowledged that the amount of development and the infrastructure that's been invested into the Scottish Highlands and Islands just hasn't kept pace with the demands being placed on it. So that is something that we are looking at with Scottish Government is how we use the, the 1960s camping and caravanning legislation that allows smaller sites. Is there anything we can do working within that to support the campsite sector? Because obviously, ideally, you want everybody to, as many people as possible, to use the campsite network. There's a, there's a great infrastructure set up there, set up. And we certainly always, and you'll see that on the camper website, is we always do recommend, first thing is try and get into a campsite. It's so great. Um, but if the main campsites aren't available, then what cross sites exist? Where can people come and park for £5, £10 a night? They don't need any facilities, but just somewhere safe to park that isn't going to cause a disruption to local residents. And if we could find a network, a way of doing it, so smaller sites, maybe with up to five units, could park and then move on again in the morning, that potentially could be allowed to keep residents happy. And that would be something that we'd like to try and work with communities on identifying locations. And it sounds as though it would be extremely low cost. So if it was a council site or a forestry commission site, there's not going to be a lot of capital investment required to make this happen. No, there shouldn't be a lot of capital investment required. And it's been acknowledged that by some of the sites that um, some locations, there's potential for online reservations if you can make an online donation. Uh, other cross sites have honesty boxes they put out. Um, other sites sometimes have ticket machines, you know, that, and so potentially they can be repurposed to allow for an overnight parking ticket. Um, for people coming through. So it just needs a little bit of joined up thinking, but what we're trying to encourage is a bit of standardization because nothing is more confusing to people than going to one area and, in, in, you know, in the Highlands, we've got one thing, then you go to Sky and they've got 
completely different setup and then Argyle's got another setup and most motorhomes and campervans will be touring so they will be traveling through the different areas um, and if every single place has a different system it can cause confusion so ideally we would like to try and get the signage uniform across Scotland which is why we're talking to Scottish government about trying to get uniform unified signage so that everybody whether they're UK based or whether it's an international tourist foreign tourist can come across they will be able to recognize and see it Finally, anybody new to camper vanning, what's the best source of information about how to do it responsibly? So we would encourage anybody who is um, an existing motorhome owner or new, completely new to the industry to look at the camper website, www.camper.org.uk. It's got guidance on there for everybody going through. It does talk about the safe driving and the etiquette, about the waste disposal, about the grey water, the black waste, where you can empty it, where you can't empty it, obviously. And then we also talk about informal camping, about and giving guidance and acknowledgement that sometimes there are some situations when informal camping needs to occur, and actually in those circumstances, how you should safely undertake it. Um, you certainly, it's not a good idea for people to go and look online and just and, and, and look at some of the sites that are exist where they say, oh, this is a great spot to camp here and go here. Those sites are not necessarily recommending legal or, or safe, and it's not approved by the landowners. So we would encourage everybody to read through the guidance and then keep an eye on that guidance. If also, if anybody wants to share the information, we'd encourage them, don't copy and paste from the camper website. Please direct people to the website so that we can keep that source up to date, because that, again, is a constant ongoing challenge where old information has not been kept updated. So we say try and pinpoint people, signpost them to the camper website. It's neutral. It's not there to promote any particular sector. It's just that we want to try and promote the best practice and try and help grow the industry and try and help the local communities maximize the economic benefit because there is a huge spending power um, of these people there's about 750 million pounds is the value of the sector to support manufacturing but overall the caravan the motorhome sector contributes 9.3 billion pounds to the visitor economy in the UK. so we should be tapping into that as much as we can do on the isle of sky and try and say right what if the people come across what can we offer that's value for money and that when you're dealing with this thrifty market it's not that they don't want to pay just they want to have a perceived value for it. And paying £30 for a campsite fee is not perceived value sometimes in, in, every night. But if they can pay £10 for a croft one night with no facilities, and then they can go and spend £20 on a cup of tea and a cake and everything else and looking around a garden, then you're still getting the same amount of money, but they'll be very happy in spending it. Catherine Bunn, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Simon. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime Podcast. If you have a subject you'd like me to explore or a guest you'd like to hear, please email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. You can also email me if you'd like to sponsor or advertise on the podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stick to the rules, but stay in touch with family, friends and neighbours. Aikiva. Aikiva.